This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. And a very good afternoon to you. Shortly catching up with a Kimberley pastoralist who's offloading some stock as the dry conditions continue. And a little later this hour, after the headlines at half past 12 today, it is not in your imagination. It is a lot windier in southern parts of Western Australia this season. We'll catch up with Ian Foster. He's a research officer with the Department of Primary Industries. He specialises in uh, climate research. So he'll go through the details and take a look at those systems that are contributing to those windy conditions across parts of southern Western Australia. That's after half past 12 today. Six past 12 here on the Country Hour. And lobby group WA Farmers says the solution to the long-running industrial dispute at the ports is to fully automate ports right across the country. As you've heard in the news today, Australia's largest port operator, DP World, says a dispute over worker pay and conditions is quickly coming to a head and is now urging the federal government to step in and mediate. DP World has threatened to dock the pay of those who participate in further industrial action this week. Executive Vice President of DP World Oceania, Nikolai News says it's costing them millions of dollars. We have suffered from industrial action now for for several months. The indications are that the actions taken are going to escalate going forward. So um, I think it's not like Friday is a a big milestone in terms of disruption. That, That has been going on. The question is, I guess, will it now further escalate? Well, Trevor Whittington is the CEO of Lobby Group WA Farmers. Trevor, how do you think this dispute is going to be resolved? It'll get resolved like every other port dispute has been resolved in Australia's history with the um, uh, a deal being done which will cost farmers and consumers even more. Um, you know, they will get paid more for working less. That's the, That seems to be the formula after, you know, extended strikes. So, you know, it's certainly not the first time there's been a dispute at the ports. What's the long-term solution here, Trevor? Look, the long-term solution, and look, <laughs> 25 years ago, there was the Chris Corrigan um, exercise to make the ports more efficient, and they got a little bit more efficient for a while, and then they've slipped backwards. There was a push for the Productivity Commission under Morrison to make the ports more efficient, and they've slipped backwards. Ultimately, the solution is to automate the ports like they've done in you know 30 or 40 ports around the world. Get the wharfies out of it because we're just lifting boxes off boats and stacking them on the wharf and just, you know, go fully automated, fully robotic. And that's, you know, we've got the technology to do it. We just need to get there fast. And how efficient do those 40-odd ports, automated ports around the world work? They're, they're, the China's building them at the rate of knots. Um, you know, they, our, the new outer harbour port, if it ever gets built, uh, would be perfect for it. It would be at least double the efficiency, you know, 60, 70, 80 containers an hour, you know, fully controlled by, you know, computers and, and uh, robotics and uh, the cranes work with all the, the technology that we use to run harvesters up and down roads within, you know, a centimetre. 
there's nothing difficult about this at all, but um, it would at least take this endless round of port disputes that Australia seems to suffer from and bring it to an end. Wouldn't it cost an extraordinary amount of money, though, to automate a port? Farmers can afford to put uh, self-steering on their headers. No, it's not expensive at all. Um, It's certainly a lot cheaper than paying a wharfies not to front up to rosters, which is currently what's happened. And here in Western Australia then, which port do you think would be the first to be automated, the new port? Is that you you mentioned earlier? Yeah. Look, look, we could do it now at Fremantle. It's very – containers came in in the 50s. They're just big boxes. And we got rid of a whole bunch of wharfies when we didn't have to unload cargo ships by every individual sack of grain and everything else. We've now got the technology to do containers, been around for 15 years. It's ideal for Fremantle. It's even better for the outer harbour because ports need lots of space to be able to shuffle things around. It's not just the cranes. It's you know loading trains and and and, and trucks and the outer harbour would be perfectly designed for that. The other ports are less less so because you know it's not really container based; it's bulk. So, is there talk that that's going to be the outcome at the? We definitely know that the big push by the MUA and the unions against the outer harbour, because as they know very well in WA, that it would take uh, a lot of their membership away, a lot of their jobs away. And uh, so there's pressure on the state government not to proceed with that. And we know nationally uh, the biggest donors to, one of the biggest donors to uh, federal and state labour around the country has been um, the Wharfies and they, uh, they don't want to see technology on our ports. They want, to, they want to live in the past. Well, I mean, you know, we're talking about taking away jobs here. I mean, surely, you know, people can keep their jobs on the wharf. Uh, the wharf can continue to work. And there must be a solution here. We can come together and actually it, it resolve be, a it dispute. Would be, it would be cheaper to pay these people to, to just stay at home and not come to work. And we go robotics because the delays in the supply chain of getting, you know, we need fertiliser and chemicals and parts to come through in the ports for seeding. We need to get out our chilled beef and, um, and, and our, our wine and fresh produce, plus everything else we export that goes on containers. And we're losing jobs and Australia's credibility as a manufacturing, you know, exporting nation uh, to keep some very, very highly paid individuals in jobs. And there's no lack of jobs out there in the mining and agricultural sector at the moment, so we can find jobs for these people, but they can't continue to hold Australia and you know, the farmers and the consumers to ransom. So eventually, governments need to muscle up. Now, Albanese shows no interest, and ultimately the solution is state governments building ports that we don't need unions, union wharfies, you know, doing this endless rounds of going on strike every couple of years to extract more for doing less. I don't they have the right, though, to argue for, uh, you know, the pay and conditions they yeah, deserve? Knock themselves out. Go, go, for, go for their life. Um, it's a free country. You can be unionised. At the same time, the rest of the community can say enough is enough. We don't want to be held to ransom anymore, so there must be another solution. And there is one in terms of technology. So let's fast-track towards that and... 
these the, the governments and the state government controls the Fremantle port, owns it. It should be stepping up. We should be hearing from the, this uh, the, from the premier where we're at with the port. Uh, if they're not going to build the outer harbour, why won't they just automate what we've got now so that we're not caught up in, in, in what is a predictable cycle of every two or three years we go through another endless round of disputes. Trevor, good to talk. Thank you. Thank you. Trevor Whittington is the CEO of Lobby Group WA Farmers. Uh, what do you think? Is Trevor on the money or you've got a better idea? Uh, Trevor thinks automation is the solution here, the long-term solution to any dispute at the port. Have you got a better idea? Let me know. 0448 922 604 13 past 12. You're with Belinda Varis on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio WA. Heading to the Kimberley now, just south of Broome, where the owner of Anna Plains Cattle Station says it's been around about 10 years since it's been this dry. David Stoats says it's been almost a year since the station had its last big rain event, and he's even started to offload some cattle to cope with the conditions, which is pretty unusual for this time of year. David, uh, take us for a look around the station. How's it looking right now? Uh, well, it's very dry, Belinda, unfortunately. Normally we'd expect green grass around the place, but uh, not, not this year. It's, um, it's very dry, it's, uh, which has been exacerbated by the bushfires we had late last year. So, yeah, any time soon would be good to get a, a drink. What impact did those fires have at your place? Because this is going back, you know, quite a few months now, around about October when you were dealing with those fires, what were the implications of that? Oh, it's just removed a lot of lot of pasture, which which always sort of, you know it's on the sort of desert side of that station, but um, it just removes a lot of pasture, and which always gives you a bit of a backup. So, uh, yeah, that that's exacerbated the dry conditions here and in for a, a lot of the Kimberley, I think. Yeah, and how much of the property was affected by those fires? Uh, I think it was around, uh, you know, 100,000 hectares in all, maybe a bit less, but, you know, a significant amount of the property. It's, um, it was a lower value grazing area, but it's, it still leaves a bit of a hole that you've got to try and fill somehow. Well, especially when it's dry conditions like this, you know, every blade of grass is going to count. Yeah, that's right. And look, it it generally bounces back fairly well if if you do get rain. So uh, yeah, it's just just taping for that rainfall event will will happen. Now, when was the last time you had some rain? Uh, sort of last wet season was you know we had a little bit in April when that cyclone went through Pardue. So that was a small amount, but there was yeah, it's last big event was sort of February last year. So it's, so getting close to a year. Really? Well, and how unusual is that? Uh, it's not. I mean, it can happen. We had nothing in December. Normally, you expect, you know, the average is about uh, two inches. So no, normally, you expect something in December. But it, you know, it can happen. It's so uh, it's just you know, if if we do get a rainfall event in the next couple of weeks, it'll be a sort of late start to the wet season. It won't be anything too unusual, but, you know, there's there's no guarantee of that, of course. I'm sure you're keeping a, a close watch on the monsoon trough, um, which is de- developing 
to the north of the, the country. But at this stage, it doesn't look like it's getting to your side of the Kimberley to the west Kimberley. It looks like it's going to sort of touch that top east Kimberley and into the Northern Territory. Is that Have you checked it today? Yeah, it, it looks like it. So normally, you know, a low in the Joseph Barnapart Gulf would come this way and, you know, go across the top and maybe form into a cyclone and, you know, go across over the Pilbara Coast or, or north of the Pilbara where we are. So, yeah, unfortunately, this one doesn't look like it's going to follow the rules and, it, and it'll just sort of track south so it won't come here and, and that could make it worse because I assume it'll suck the moisture away from other areas. So, yeah, hopefully it changes its mind and, and comes this way, but we'll just wait and see. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for that. But when you see, you know, like a monsoon developing like this, is that a sign that others are to follow or it doesn't usually work like that? Yeah, well, it can be, I think, it because, it, it, you know, here it hasn't really felt like the wet season until the last week or so. It hasn't been that hot right where we are. I know areas of the Pilbara have been very hot, but, uh, you know, it's it hasn't felt that hot and there's no sort of build-up of clouds or anything. But in the last week or so, it has been you know, a more wet season feel, I guess. So ho- hopefully that continues and we do get some rain. And when was the last time it was this dry at the station, David? Uh, it's probably, I mean, we've had sort of below average events. 2015 was pretty ordinary, I think. It was only 200 mils or so, which is about half the average. So it's, it's probably going back that far, 10 years or so. Yeah, well, okay. Well, that does put it into perspective then. This is The Country on the ABC right across Western Australia, catching up with David Stoat from Anaplane Station in the Kimberley, just uh, south of Broome. David, with these dry conditions, how do you deal with it on the station? I mean, you've got cattle on the property. Are you getting rid of more than you would normally at this time of year? What are you doing? Yeah, so it's just employing a whole range of strategies, whatever you can really. So we, we did Chuck um, 12 decks out uh, last week, which is pretty unusual to be selling cattle in, in January, but, we, you know, that did lighten the load slightly. Um, How many so, head of cattle is that, David, like 12 decks? What is yeah, that? That, was, that was about 400 sort of light cattle. So, yeah, we we got rid of them. Um, so there'll just be more of that going on. Um, we can install a few new water points to spread the grazing pressure around so there'll be that sort of thing um so it's, it's just whatever you can can do to to lighten the load and the 400 head of cattle where do they end up uh they they were sold to the northern territory so um oh whereabouts uh, i'm not sure exactly it was, it was around catherine so to another station so, though yeah, to another station. So they'll get backgrounded there for a boat, I would think. Um, so, yeah, it's. I mean, they've had rain up there, so that's that does help us in giving us another marketing option. And, and also helping you in that situation is the fact that the Fitzroy Crossing Bridge is open sooner than, normal, well, expected. Yes, so that... that did help us uh, in a big way, yeah. So that that was a great result for for the industry up here and everyone that lives up here. So that that certainly makes 
marketing cattle to to the territory a lot a lot easier. And are you going to continue to do that? Is there other opportunities to send some more cattle over the border to the NT? Yeah, certainly if the opportunity's there, we'll do that and, you know, just try and get whatever we can on boats out of the broom, of course, and uh, hopefully also that local meatworks will be wanting cattle. So, you know, with so there's a few different marketing options for us. All right, so all those things are on the agenda. Is there another ship scheduled for broom? Uh, not as far as I know. I mean, they normally don't start till sort of late March, April. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just not enough cattle around. So, uh, I mean, boats keep going out of Darwin for the 12 months. But, um, yeah, they, they, they stop in over broom during the wet season. And as you mentioned, the, the Kimberley Meatwork, is also there for processing of cattle. Is that an option? You haven't taken that option up yet? No, not yet, but it'll certainly be an option uh, in, in the coming months, that's for sure. And what about sending, and I know it's a long way, but sending cattle south to, well, the sale yards or, you know, other opportunities down south, is that is that an option? Uh, it definitely is an option there. Uh, I mean, I guess the, the producers in the Pilbara sort of might beat us to that one. So there's there's probably a limited amount of cattle that markets in the south can cope with. So, yeah, but it's just keeping an eye on, on what's available. Mm. And the prices? How are things looking for this year? Well, the prices, I know they've improved in the eastern states, so we expect that to flow on to here. So, um, I mean, that reflects that. You know, rain they've had in much of Queensland and New South Wales. So, yeah. So, I mean, that hopefully that'll uh, flow on to, to markets over here. David, really good to talk to you. Thank you so much. And I hope you get some rain sometime soon. Yes. Thanks, Belinda. David Stoat from Anna Plain Station in the Kimberley. 23 past 12. Well, as David was just mentioning, the cattle market has kicked off the new year with higher prices and a little bit of optimism with some strong weaner sales in the southeast of the country. Simon Quilty is a meat and livestock analyst with Global Agritrends. He says after some disappointing market results at the end of last year, it's really encouraging to see the market start so strongly in 2024. The end of last year, the last week of December, so many of the markets actually fell quite dramatically in that last week. And that was simply because of, you know, meatworks closing down. They had no interest in buying and feedlots had no interest in buying. And certain farmers, for whatever reason, needed to move some livestock. So I would call that an aberration at this stage. I mean, in actual fact, we've come out at the start of this year in a much more positive way. So let's start with wiener sales in southern Australia. And they've been going on now where in my part of the world, in Barnawatha, Wangaratta, they opened up this week very positively, in particular for Angus wieners. And the pricing there so far has been around about 350 mark, which is considerably better than what it, well, up slightly, you might say, before Christmas. And the interest has come out of central New South Wales on from restockers, and interestingly, also from bullock fatness, 
prices were anywhere for Angus feeders at around 340 to 360, 370 over the last few days. And these numbers, Annie, about 22,000 have been on offer, which is a high number across these local yards. Right. So we're seeing a bit of positivity and confidence come back into the market? I think so. Also, in the north of Australia this week, feeder steer prices are also looking pretty good in southeast Queensland. So pricing today up there is about 3.30 to 3.35 on Angus feeders in southeast Queensland. Crossbred feeders about 3.15 to 3.30 and Brahmins at 2.70. Across the board, they're up about 10 cents a kilo since the week before Christmas. So once again, there is optimism across the, the eastern seaboard of Australia. So what would you say is driving these price increases? It's definitely the rain, of course, Annie. I mean, we've had extraordinary um, weather conditions across southeast Queensland, New South Wales, and to a, a lesser extent, but um, in parts of Victoria as well. And part of it too is one, you know, it's grass driven, but two, the difficulty of getting animals to market, you know, in some of these flood flood areas. So it's a bit of a combination, but I think it's definitely a grass driven market. And I think there's a really important footnote to add to this is that these markets, I think for the next six months will be play a, you know, a supply or lack of supply will drive it. But by mid-year, Annie, we need global markets to be firing. And to date, they haven't. They've been lacklustre. They've been very slow. And we need global markets really to start to get going. So tell us a bit about what's happening overseas with these global markets then and why they are so lacklustre. Well, we've continued to have high you know, inventories, um, frozen stocks throughout the world and in particular in Asia. So Japan, I mean, the good news is they've come off from the highs of 160 to 165,000 metric tonnes in store each month to down to 150. But still, these are really high numbers, Annie. And we continue to see in China record highs in terms of inventory sitting at three to three and a half times the normal amount and has sat there at these same levels for 12 months. Up until late November, the figures showed us almost 12 months of these continued high inventories within China itself. So looking ahead into 2024, what are you thinking or predicting is going to happen here in Australia then? Well, I think we've got to first turn to the skies and the weather and, and, you know, base our beliefs on the experts. So the belief is that we're going to see good rain for January, February, March on the eastern seaboard, possibly a dry period late March, April, May, but then we're going to potentially be flipping into a La Nina, which will bring more rain for the back end of 2024 and into 2025. So overall, a wet year. I think, Annie, we're going to see prices lift across every category this year. I think we'll get to a bit of a, you might say, a plateau by the end of late February 
early March will hold, and then come May, June, July, another serious kick in the market. So for me, you know, we are potentially going to see cows at the end of this year, 2024, probably get up to around about 350 a kilo. So that would be a wonderful outcome, of course, but with a rebuild likely to start to gather momentum by the middle of this year and we stop the liquidation, I think that's really possible. Cattle market analyst Simon Quilty with Annie Brown, 29 past 12. And, of course, heading off to Katanning just before the news at 1 to get the results of today's sheep market. And numbers doubled at the Katanning sale yards today. A total yarding of almost 8,500 head. And Tracy Kilner will go through those details for you just before the news at 1. And getting an update from the newsroom now, Jonathan Beale in the studio. Thanks, Belinda. A Perth man accused of targeting random victims with a knife in Scarborough on Monday has been remanded in custody. Tyrone Rodney Ridley is accused of being armed with a knife and threatening members of the public. The court heard the 20-year-old lunged at a person outside a Scarborough hotel before getting on a bus, holding the knife to a man's throat and causing a puncture wound. Mr Ridley is due back in court later this month. Police have charged two men over several burglaries in three Perth suburbs. Police say during one incident on Tuesday morning, the men stole items from a home in Bassendine. A 33-year-old man who was bitten by a dog during his arrest in Stratton has been charged with a string of offences, including three counts of home burglary and four counts of stealing. A 45-year-old man has been charged with aggravated burglary and stealing. And a review into the gap between what farmers are paid and what customers are charged at major supermarkets will examine restrictions on competition. Former Labor Minister Craig Emerson has been appointed to lead the review and will make recommendations to the federal government by mid-year. Mr Emerson says it's important other chains have the chance to compete with the supermarket giants. Morning is Belinda at one o'clock. Jonathan, thank you so much for that update. 29 to 1 here on the Country Hour. And shortly taking a look at the windy conditions across parts of southern Western Australia. Ian Foster will be here. He's a senior research officer with Deep Herd. So we'll look at the sort of systems that are at play at the moment causing those windy conditions, but then also the implications of that for farming activities and the business that needs to be done on farms in southern parts of WA. We'll get to that shortly. First, it is off to the Bureau of Meteorology. Angeline Prasad is with you this afternoon. Angeline, let's start in the north of the state because we want to get all the details we can firstly about the monsoon that we've been talking about the last couple of days. What are the chances of this monsoon developing into a tropical cyclone and where is it likely to track? What have you got? Good afternoon, Belinda. Yes, so the normal onset uh, for monsoon uh, across northern Australia is uh, late December. So we're a couple of weeks behind now. This is all thanks uh, to the El Nino and the positive Indian Ocean dipole. Um, the, the monsoon is finally developing across uh, northern Australia. So as soon as we get a monsoon trough, uh, we usually get a couple of uh, one or two tropical lows spinning uh, up in that in that monsoon trough, which is what is uh, likely to happen over the next few days. So a couple of areas of 
of interest for us are the the Timor Sea and the Joseph Bonaparte Gulf uh, to the north of the Kimberley, but and also the Gulf of Carpentaria is still a fairly large amount of uncertainty, as is the usual case with any developing a tropical Laos. But th- those are our two uh, main areas of interest. Now, we can um, have a, a tropical law developing into a tropical cyclone if the tropical law remains over water. So we may see a tropical law form over the next 24 to 48 hours uh, to the north of the Kimberley, most likely in the Joseph Bonaparte Gulf. Um, there is a fair amount of uncertainty where this system will head off uh, across the weekend. So a couple of scenarios, it may head into the uh, Northern Territory, so across the top end. The other scenario, which is currently less likely, is it may develop into a tropical cyclone, so still remain over water, so be slow moving over the weekend and potentially move uh, across the North Kimberley coast. So a few scenarios here, um, and at this stage, uh, the the more likely scenario is it will move into the uh, top end and ramp up the monsoon through there uh, but at this stage we cannot um, disregard the other possibility that the system does develop into a tropical cyclone and affect the northern parts of WI this weekend or early next week. And if that does happen what sort of rainfall measurements would you be expecting? So over the next couple of days um, the Kimberley especially northern Kimberley are likely to see more daytime and overnight thunderstorms. Uh, it's finally starting to happen. We're starting to see regular thunderstorms across uh, northern and central parts of the Kimberley, so that's likely to continue. And now, as that monsoon uh, develops and the tropical low forms, we'll see increased uh, rainfall across the north coast. So places like Columbru, Windham, uh, Kananara may see increased uh, rainfall activity over the next couple of days. So rainfall measurements would probably be in the 30 to 50 millimeters but we could potentially start seeing rainfall getting up to that 100 millimetres per day uh, from Friday or later Friday onwards if that tropical low uh, remains over water. Now, if if that low does move uh, over the northern Kimberley over the weekend or late weekend, then we could potentially see uh, much higher rainfall totals. A lot is dependent. Rainfall total is uh, is is uh, usually dependent on the size of the system, also how fast or slow moving the system is, and also how strong that system is. So, um, Belinda, there's uh, there's a fair amount of uncertainty uh, on how fast the system will move, what category will it develop, if will it develop, whether it will develop into a tropical cyclone. So, um, my advice would be to stay tuned to what we're saying, uh, keep an eye out for any uh, flood watches or severe weather warnings or watches of or cyclone watches that we may issue over the next couple of days. Um, these, uh, the models are predicting a range of scenarios and uh, currently we haven't identified a tropical low uh, within the developing monsoon trough and it may happen over the next 24 hours. So once we see a tropical low form, we'll have great ans- a greater certainty on what it may do. And Angeline, there is some talk that it uh, could sort of go across the Territory and then double back to the East Kimberley, possibly by next sort of Friday or Saturday, so more than a week away. Are you seeing that in some of the modelling too? 
yes, that is a possible scenario. So, for example, if the system doesn't uh, develop into a tropical cyclone but moves into the uh, top end, it's likely to meander across the top end for a few days, probably five to seven days, as you've heard, and then potentially move back over the Kimberley later next week. That's one of the scenarios uh, mm. available to us at the moment. All right. All right. Well, we'll uh, just need to keep tabs on that through the rest of the week and into the new week by the sounds of things. So any yes. more to say about northern and eastern parts of Western Australia? Yes, there is still a phenomenal heat wave that's gripping the northern parts of the state. Um, the increased thunderstorm activity suddenly across uh, the Kimberleys is helping to ease that uh, those uh, those uh, rather intense heat wave uh, uh, conditions but uh, it's it's not likely to ease off much um over the next couple of days uh, especially through parts of the pilbara and the interior the, these areas uh, are not likely to see um um much rainfall uh, we're forecasting thunderstorms through this area through the gascoigne through the gold fields in the interior and the pilbara but they're generally going to be dry there will be some moist thunderstorms so they will produce some rainfall um so it's going to be a mix of um wet and moist uh, sorry wet and dry thunderstorms but the greater chance is these thunderstorms will be dry so not really bring bring about uh, much respite to the heat unfortunately and then moving into the southwest land division, a little bit of um, thunderstorm activity for some parts anyway this week. What can oh, you say? Yes. <laughs> In fact, we um, the models are predicting we'll see thunderstorms right across WA. Uh, it's uh, rather unusual. So we've had a trough uh, that's moving inland uh, and that's extending from the gas going to the gold fields. But we'll see another branch of the West Coast trough forming over the next couple of days. Um, and what this will do is um, it will uh, extend those dry thunderstorms across much of uh, the Southwest Land Division, in fact, all the way to the Perth Hills, um, especially from Friday onwards. Uh, so again, a mix of dry and wet thunderstorms. Rainfall will generally be less than two millimetres. Um, there will be some areas that may see a little bit more rainfall, maybe two to five, uh, getting up to 10 millimetres. And these areas are most likely the eastern parts of the Southwest Land Division, so eastern parts of the Central Weed Belt, the far eastern parts of the Great Southern, uh, that may see a bit more moisture in those thunderstorms. So there is that risk of dry lightning uh, from these uh, thunderstorm activities that's uh, going to start from today and continue throughout uh, until the end of the week into next week. Don't really see those thunderstorms contacting east until probably Monday or Tuesday um, next week. Um, we are seeing elevated fire dangers across the southern half of WA. So currently we don't have any warnings. Fire dangers are generally high. But this weekend is looking particularly hot across uh, southwestern parts, sorry, southwest land division. We're seeing a low to severe intensity heat wave extend across much of uh, the, uh, the northern and central parts of the southwest land division. So coupled with the heat, wind, and that risk of dry thunderstorm, uh, dry lightning, uh, we, we may see elevated bushfire risk over the next few days. And this afternoon, the warnings? So apart from that, um, apart from coastal wind warnings, uh, these uh, I have mentioned, these that heat wave warning out uh, for... Uh, for much of WA, so extreme heat wave warning for Goldfields, Eucla and South Interior and severe heat wave warning for Kimberley, Pilbara, Gascoigne, North Interior and Central Weed Belt districts. 
and the marine wind submarines just for warnings along that uh, western southwest coasts. Thank you so much, Ange. 20 to 1 and Michelle Stanley here now to take a look at the rainfall. Yeah, going to be short and sweet today, Belinda. In the 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning, uh, only rainfall that was over 5 mils was in the Kimberley. Uh, in Charnley River, they had 6, Drysdale River Station 9, Alquestro 15, Fitzroy Crossing Aero had 15, Gibb River 25, Gogo Station topped the state with 46 millimetres, Kingston Rest 13, Lake Argyle Resort 6, Leopold Downs had 9, Marion Downs 16, Winjana Gorge 12 and Yulmbu had 7 mils. Michelle, thank you so much. 19 to 1. Sticking with the weather because some weather station data is showing this summer is very windy across the southern parts of Western Australia. Ian Foster is a senior research officer with the Department of Primary Industry and Regional Development. Ian, what is the data revealing about the winds this summer? Yes, yes, morning. Um, certainly on our automatic weather stations, you can do uh, things called windrows, charts that show the direction and strength of winds over different periods of time. And it's certainly clear that, say, November and December at least, we've had this across most of the week, got a strong preponderance of easterly to southeasterly winds. And they not only are the direct directions very consistent, that is, they haven't seen very many westerlies, for example, the wind strengths have been quite high. So, yes, it certainly hasn't been their imagination. So you can certainly see it on our weather station data. But also when you look broader field, looking, say, on the Bureau of Met's analyses of um, mean pressures for November, December, and winds and that sort of stuff, um, the atmospheric pressures have certainly been higher to the south of WA. And the winds across the southern part of the state have been uh, stronger than normal easterlies as well. Yes, so certainly not people's imagination. Oh, that's good to know. What about further north then, Ian? Do do you have the detail on what's going on in the northern half of the state? It's it's varied a bit because for them the issue has been the late onset of the Australian summer monsoon. That is the normal wet season for them. Now, it looks as though it might kick off this weekend. It does? Mm. Yep, yep. There's a... there's a pulse. See, the tropics is, is is not steady. It has active and quiet phases. And you may seem to refer to as MJO events or Madden Julian oscillations of those things. But essentially, they are um, eastward travelling regions where the convection is enhanced. It gets really, you know, it gets stronger. And out of those things, potentially you could get tropical cyclones and lows develop. And there's about two or three the potentially cooking that might come to pass. So yeah, so so that that'll probably mean the the sort of start to the uh, um, to the wet season, especially for say the Pilbara and Kimberley. So for them, the winds they've been seeing have been really coming from the lack of the onset of the monsoon trough. So they probably would have seen more easties or southeasties for them in particular. Um, probably one of the drivers why it's also been so hot there. The lack of rain has certainly meant the soil's been dried, but as well with fewer of the established, say, westerlies or northwesterlies coming in from the ocean, the air's been hotter as well anyway because it's been coming in from the desert. So a number of things have come together to, you know, it, the sort of lead-up to the wet is usually always hot and uncomfortable. It's just been longer than normal this year. And so, Ian, what is – and, you know, keep this simple for the rest of us, Ian, but what, what, what are the <laughs> systems that are driving – uh, these factors, particularly those stronger winds that have sort of been going over, uh, you know, November, December into the new year. Yeah, 
the sort of climate people talk talk about these things called climate drivers, and that's big picture things, phenomena that work across ocean basins. The bigger you're probably aware of is things like El Nino, La Nina, uh, more locally the Indian Ocean Dipole, both of which have been active. But in the Southern Ocean, there's also another indicator called Southern Annular Mode. So that all sounds very technical and it means various things. But essentially what it reflects is the belt of westerlies that sit to the south of Australia and how far north or south they are. So in its current pattern, what they call a, a positive SAM, um, the, the westerly winds are further south than normal. And it, so it means that for where we're sitting here, say at 30, you know, 31, 32 degrees south, the anticyclones are more persistent. They sit in the bite and we start to see, certainly the sort of condition we've seen, fine, clear winds, preponderance of um, easterlies. For eastern Australia, it's a different story because this sort of pattern tends to bring increased onshore winds from the Tasman Sea to southeastern Australia. So for them, a positive SAM in summer tends to mean a risk of high rainfall events. Whereas for us, it doesn't, there's no real effect on rainfall because it's traditionally dry anyway. But I think we're seeing this secondary impact of stronger easterlies coming from that pattern. Okay, so then looking forward, how long are these sort of conditions, these winds going to persist? Well, usually with the um, the SAM, it's not predictable on a long time scale. It's sort of maybe two or three weeks or so. So the Bureau is currently saying that it's currently in a positive stage and expecting to relax back closer to neutral, meaning you might see a slight easing of the persistence of the easterlies. If further north the monsoon indeed kicks off, what we may then see is the opportunity for that tropical moisture to appear further south. And I noticed the Bureau's model has got some thunderstorm or the risk of some thunderstorms cranking up over the, the grain belt in the next few days. So once the tropics get active, what they're doing is exporting moisture out of there. And so that provides the opportunity for weather systems further south. So, yeah, so we might start to see a bit of a change as I see that the IOD's just about gone. It's, you know, it's certainly in its decaying phase. Um, the El Nino is not likely to continue a really strong impact on us other than shuffling things around within the tropics. So we're starting to see maybe a return back to normal for at least a couple of those other drivers. So hopefully that would mean that the Eastleys might start to ease a bit. Ian, great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Okay, no trouble. Ian Foster, he's a Senior Research Officer with DPIRD. 13 to 1. Well, let's head out to the farm now to see how these strong winds are affecting farm activities. Mark Fowler farms at Williams and Tincurran. Mark, has it been windy at your place? Oh, it feels like the wind has been blowing solidly every day and heavily at night since oh, probably early December. And for people that are trying to spread lime, gypsum, fertiliser, harvest, deal with fires that have started, it's really made life quite challenging. So is it distinctively windier than the normal? I mean, is it something you've actually noticed this year more than any other year? Look, the wind usually blows pretty hard in this part of the world in the evenings, but we've usually had pretty good days. Um, when the doctor comes in at night, the Albany doctor, um, it's always windy in this part of the world. But look, the, the daytime um, wind has been especially consistent and strong. We've been trying to get lime and um, fertiliser spread and we just haven't had a day we can do it. It really has been every day. 
And then what about spraying? Would, would that be occurring at this time of year? Oh, no, almost no one's had any rain in our parts. So there's no summer weeds to speak of. So no one's even trying to spray around here. But I guess on the south coast they might be, and that would be pretty, pretty challenging yeah. um, because there just hasn't been a window. If, if they've been as windy down there as we've been here, it'd be really hard. And then what about other activities like the harvesting? I mean, harvest is, you know, done and dusted really. So uh, that's probably a good thing in terms of um, those winds being, you know, a, a fire risk with that sort of activity. What about some of the other farming activities like the baling or anything like that going on at the moment? Well, we usually have a fairly decent straw program and that's it certainly raises the anxiety level when the wind's blowing hard and it's warm. Thankfully, it's been pretty mild, but the wind has definitely made that something we're focused on. We're running running a couple of balers um, and a stubble cruncher when it's when it's windy is, is is concerning. So we've got had lots of fire fighting resources allocated to that, so that that doesn't become a problem. Or if it does, we're ready. Um, but it, it it definitely raises the anxiety levels if you had a fire with that sort of wind. It'll be much a much more serious thing. And are any concerns about a wind erosion? Oh, not in our parts, but for people that have had a, a tight season um, where they haven't necessarily had very good ground cover or whether they've had pasture country, that, that, that'd definitely be a problem, I think. Bear paddocks are, are definitely going to be much more affected by the sort of wind that we've seen. And how are conditions? I mean, I know a lot of growers are on a little bit of a break at the moment, but from those who you've been speaking to, how is it looking on, you know, grain growing country across the state right now in terms of the, the seasonal conditions? Oh, I think the, the, the soil moisture is just about non-existent. Um, we had a, a hot, dry finish to the, the last season and we've had no summer rain at all yet. For most of us, that's okay. Um, we're pretty happy not to be out spraying in the early hours of the morning um, at this time of the year, um, so long as we get the rain in um, in sort of March and April. Um, you know, that's when we really want and need it. If we get some summer rain before then, that's often a bonus. But I don't think anyone's too unhappy about not being out spraying summer weeds at the moment. I think there's a little bit of thunderstorm activity coming our way towards, well, maybe in the next couple of days or so. So maybe there's a, a little bit of something in that for those under one of those storms. Right. Okay. No, I haven't focused on that yet. Still trying to get straw bailed, double crunching finished and, and, and maybe look at going on a holiday. <laughs> well, I'll let you get back to your jobs. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you very much, William. Mark Fowler, farming at Williams and Tin Curran, nine to one. Well, the wind is also causing a few headaches for vegetable growers. Bevan Eats grows potatoes, pumpkins, spaghetti squash and cauliflower at Manjimup in the state southwest. He says the wind is really frustrating. Ah, oh, look, it's just it's just frustrating when you're irrigating. Um, depending on what whether you're using a centre pivot or whether you're using semi permanent. Um, it just makes it hard because basically um, we, we've had a unique season where we just haven't had much rainfall over the last three or four months uh, and it's just drying the ground out. You can irrigate this consistent wind. It doesn't matter whether you get up at half past four in the morning or you try and finish 10, 12 o'clock at night. The, the wind's still with you and it just evaporates the, the water that you do put out really quick and stresses the plant. So um, to say it's not helpful as a an understatement. Manjimup vegetable farmer Bevan Eats with Kate Forrester. 
It is eight minutes to one and shortly a wrap of the Katanning sheep market for you. Just before that, though, a mining recruitment consultant says almost 900 job losses announced in WA this week couldn't have come at a better time. Yesterday, Alcoa announced 750 jobs would be lost with the curtailing of production at its Quinana refinery and Kimberley Nickel Miner Panoramic Resources cut 140 workers at its Savannah operation near Halls Creek. Peter Dybal is Managing Director of Pit Crew, a consulting firm providing labour market analysis for the industry. He says WA is still very short-staffed and those now out of work will be snapped up quickly. The announcement about the Quinana refinery and uh, in recent days Savannah and, uh, and others to be affected by that is always a difficult time, that, that uncertainty. But um, I, I come from the resources sector and appreciate the feelings when news like that is, is delivered. But on the flip side of that, for Western Australia and the labour market environment we're in at the moment, while these announcements might feel negative for anyone affected, um, the upside is that the news perhaps couldn't have come at a better time. Um, At the moment, in the mining, oil and gas, heavy industry and and infrastructure sectors, uh, we we estimate there's a shortage of around 38,000 people across a whole range of occupations. So that's management, engineering, professional occupations, but also in uh, trades and skilled occupations like boilermakers, electricians, fitters, mechanics, um, and and, and labourers, you know, riggers and scaffolders and uh, and general labourers. So if there is ever a time to be told that one source of employment is no longer available, it's probably the best time now. It's certainly better than during a downturn. Absolutely. So all those people are likely to to find new jobs quite quickly. But what about non-trades people and operators? Will it be tougher for them? No, no. Uh, a lot of operations at the moment uh, with production operators and, uh, you know, shutdown type people and everything like that, they're screaming out for, for workforce resources as well. It seems every other day that there are announcements about not meeting production targets and things like that because of uh, labour shortages and things like that. So I, I think there's um, still, you know, plenty of opportunity out there and really looking at our breakdowns in terms of, uh, of, of, of shortages, the bulk of shortages are actually in the operation side of things. So no, I don't think there'll be any, any troubles at all. Mining and just about every other workforce have been sort of screaming for workers since the pandemic. Is that likely to change anytime soon? I don't think it will change anytime soon, but uh, I guess um, history would tell us that our our markets are are cyclic. Uh, So at some stage in the future, the market will turn and will decline and there will be an excess of uh, labour resources. But that's that's just how it goes. You know, we've we've seen similar cycles around 2007, 2008, when the GFC hit. Then from around 2013 through to... 2018, uh, when there were some big drops in the oil price and commodity prices and things like that and and demand. But, you know, it's picked up. And even if another project wasn't approved from today onwards, it would be a a gradual 
uh, easing of the market rather than this sort of rapid fall off a cliff. Managing Director of Management Consulting Firm Pit Crew, Peter Dybel speaking to Lucinda Jose. Four minutes to one to the markets and a couple of livestock markets to go through this afternoon. Shortly, you'll get the details from Katanning, where again, numbers were up significantly from the last sale of 2023. First, though, to Mount Barker, where Nutrien had a special sale yesterday. It was the 12th Nutrien All Black Special Wiener Sale. Tracy Kilner was there. What was the quality like at Mount Barker yesterday, Tracy? An excellent quality yarding of 2,248 black uh, wiener calves were presented for the 12th Nutrien All Black Special Wiener Sale. A large gallery of buyers were present with good competition on the heavier weight steers selling to 294 cents, oh. while the lighter weight steers hit a high of 314 cents a kilo. So heavy weight heifers sold to 240 cents back to the farmer's future breeders, while demand was limited right, on lighter weight heifers. Wiener steers weighing over 380 kilos returned 254 to 290 cents. Steers weighing between 330 and 380 kilos sold from 248 to 294 cents. The lightest steers weighing 280 to 330 kilos made 240 to 314 cents. And weights under 280 kilos returned 226 to 280 cents a kilo. Wiener heifers weighing over 380 kilos sold from 206 to 240 cents. Weights from 330 to 380 kilos made 222 to 236 cents a kilo. Lighter weights between 280 to 330 kilos made from 200 to 234 cents. And weights under 280 kilos returned 170 to 234 cents a kilo. Tracy, thank you for that. So just recapping, 2,248 black wiener calves yarded at that special nutrient sale. And then at the Katanning sale yards today, another significant yarding of sheep. Tracy, what were the numbers like at Katanning today? Numbers doubled for our first sale of 2024 with a total yarding of 8,429 mixed quality sheep and lambs. The prime heavier weight lambs were in demand, trending up, while restockers pushed mutton prices up $10 a head. Plain small frame sheep once again sold to minimum values with little interest from buyers. The lightweight lambs under 16 kilos carcass weight sold to $51. Weights under 18 kilos carcass weight made from 60 to 90. Trade weights returned 83 to 107. And the heavyweight lambs sold to $122 a head. A large yarding of young merino hoggets sold from $2 to $48, depending on quality for use. And weathers made from $1 to $39 a head. Store use sold from $1 to $18 to processors and up to $31 for restocker use. Medium weight sold from $20 to $39 to restockers. And heavy weights over 30 kilos carcass weight returned $25 to $38 a head. Heavy weight weathers made from $35 to $56 for the heaviest. Mature rams gained selling from $5 up to $31 for restocker rams. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Tracy, thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. It's um, just under a minute away from the news at one. We were talking about the windy conditions across, um, you know, large parts of southern Western Australia. And Richard has texted through just saying this relentless wind has also increased evaporation from dams for livestock water. That's a good point that wasn't mentioned earlier. Thank you for that, Richard. And you also heard from Trevor Whittington from WA Farmers saying... 
The solution to this long-running industrial dispute at the ports is to fully automate the ports. And Andy Anthony agrees with that. Trevor is on the money. Wharfies are like the Labor Party, outdated and well past their use-by dates. Trevor should run for the Liberal Party in the next state election, says Anthony. News time, one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.